This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn to the book of Nahum. And I, this is kind of, you know, you're going to get it up here on the big screens. That's good. But I really want to see if you can find it. You go to Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. There at the end of the Old Testament, you'll find it. And uh, today's message is something, if I could tell you to glue the bulletin in the back of your Bible, this would be one that I would ask you to do that. However, some of you in your Bibles, if you open it up and you have in the beginning of it or at the end of it, you have these blank white pages. Most of the time, printers put those white blank pages in your Bible for a reason. And that is you can write uh, the name of the person who gave it to you, maybe special memories, a loved one who passed the date, uh, where it was and so forth and so on. But maybe perhaps today you could find a place in your Bible to, to make reference to these main points in scriptures. Now, I know you cannot get the message all in your, the back of your Bible or the beginning of it, but this would be a message that I would love for you to be able to reference over and over and over again. And one of the best ways you can do that is to take notes and not just on a notepad that you get misplaced sometime. But this is a message uh, other than the simple plan of salvation that I would ask you to uh, make notations of in, in your Bibles. This, this morning, I want to speak on five simple things to give you the very best year that you've ever had in your life. And I pray that that is exactly what the outcome of this message will be. Five simple things to give you the very best year you ever had in your life. I'm going to be reading my main text this morning comes from the book of Nahum. And the scripture that I've chosen to be our cornerstone this morning is Nahum chapter 1 and verse number 7. And the scripture says, the Lord is good. And I could preach right there all day long. I'd like to ask this question. Has anybody in here ever found him not good? Nobody. How many in here has always found him to be good? Let me see hand. Well, that's a living testimony. The Lord is good. I just shared last week to Sister Peggy Burrell's daughter, and we had been texting quite a bit as Paul was on the banks and I shared with her, her name is Debbie I said Debbie I know what you're going through my dad just recently passed away I, I know the emotion that you're feeling and I said this but the thing that I want to stress to you right now is this God loves you too much to make a mistake and he's too wise to do us wrong. She wrote me back. She said, Pastor, thank you so much for those comforting words. When I 
read this, the Lord is good, my mind instantly gravitated towards that experience this week. But the scripture says a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knoweth them that trust in him. And so this morning, I want this to be the cornerstone of what we're talking about. Five simple things to help you to have the very best year you ever had. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knoweth them that trust in him. One of the most important things that we will ever possess in this life, especially as a believer, is faith. Now that might sound shallow and simple to some, but listen very carefully. When it comes down to this thing about faith, you have to have faith in order to be saved. You cannot be saved without faith. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. So in order for a person to come to Christ to become a child of God, we have to have faith in who he says he is. We have to trust him to be the savior of the world. Out of all the denominations and all the religions in the world, we are trusting Jesus by faith. And what what is this thing of faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we're trusting in the evidence of things not seen. None of us were at the hill called Calvary when he was crucified. None of us were at the hill called Calvary when he spoke seven times. None of us were at the garden tomb when he was raised from the dead. But we have manuscripts that have been passed down from centuries to century to century, and it has crossed many oceans. It has come our way. We have a translation of it. By the way, this is not the original translation. What you have in your hand, if you have a King James, is a 1700 translation. Then there was the King James translation from King James himself, the 1611. But what I'm trying to tell you is this, that there have been transcripts and manuscripts that have been passed down from clay jars and on parchments and animal skins. They have been passed down to us through the course of time. Those scriptures have crossed oceans. Scholars have sat down to translate it and write it. And now today you're sitting here this morning with scriptures on the screen. You're holding in your hand what is called the Holy Bible, the Holy Word of God. And listen, everything about what we believe, we believe by faith. It's an enormous step, it's an enormous leap to believe to the point where I believe some of us in here today would take your faith so seriously that you would die for the cause of Christ because you have your faith in him. 
So faith, let me tell you, as a believer, faith is one of the most important things that you will ever possess on this earth. Because number one, you have to have faith to be saved. So in essence, as a believer, you have faith to be saved. You have faith to live this life for the cause of Christ. And let me tell you this. In Hebrews 10.38, the word says, now the just shall live by faith. So we, we have to have, the, it's, it's the most precious thing that we have. I mean, there, it's not the only precious thing we have. The, I, I believe probably one of the greatest things, maybe the greatest thing that we have access to as a believer is the power of prayer. The most important thing we have. Prayer is the, the most powerful thing that we have as a believer. We believe that prayer changes things. We believe that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is our mediator. He is our advocate. And when we pray, we know that the message is getting from us to the Savior, to the Holy Father himself, and we know that God works in specialties in the avenues of prayer. So, Prayer is probably the greatest thing we have as a believer. Secondly, we have to have faith. We have faith to be saved. We have faith to live every single day. So it's important that you understand that in the very beginning of this message this morning because every passing day that goes by, every second that ticks on the clock, every day that goes by, we can see that this world is getting deeper in trouble by the seconds. I, I personally believe that the moral compass of this world is completely broken. And, and when you think about that, it, it's not just something that affects Virginia. The moral compass is universally broken all over the world. I believe demonic activity has taken over the world. And because the moral compass of this world is broken and demonic activity has taken over, I believe, the entire world right now, those two elements alone are chiseling away at our faith every single second that ticks off of the clock. And that should startle us as a believer and it ought to perk us up. I mean, all over the world, all over the world there is all kinds of chaos and commotion and troubles and trials. Let's narrow it down just a little bit and talk about specifically in our country. It's almost that the government that we sit under today is, is and people here have different opinions, and I understand that. I'm not a politician. I had, I'll never forget this. Many, 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 many years ago, before I was actually in the ministry, I had two pastors, local pastors, came to me and said, Brother Tony, you need to run for public office. I didn't want to have anything to do with it then. I don't want to have anything to do with it now. If I, if I got into politics, if I got into public office, I would have to step down from where I am right now and lower myself in this vomit of the world. 
Because what I believe, what I'm doing right now is the highest calling and the greatest privilege that any man on the face of the earth could have. But I got sense enough to know that this world is in a heap of trouble. Our government, let's start there for a moment here. I don't want to spend a lot of time. I could spend all the time, but I'm going to just mention the fact that our government right now is troubled. And because of that, we're troubled. This trouble and chaos, it, it funnels down now. It has to have a place where it starts. It has to have a place where it, it's where it's trying to form and, and uh, generate activity. But we start, we have trouble and chaos and commotion and confusion in our government. And all of that, listen, it, it doesn't just stop in Washington, D.C. It affects every city, town, county, township in the United States. And when those problems trickle down into the streets of where we live, it funnels into our homes and our families. And our families become troubled and chaotic and full of stress. And, and then it, it goes into our homes, into our families. And sad to say, eventually, it gets into some churches. There's no way to get around it. It seems that everywhere we turn, we turn to a shadow of some sort of trouble and chaos and commotion, a place where the moral compass is broken. And let me tell you this, to complicate it even more, when we find ourselves in these kind of situations and trouble is all around us, chaos is all around us, the devil notices now who in this thing called the church is going to stand? Who in this thing called the church is going to exercise their faith? So when, when the devil in all of his army sees all of the things that are going south for, for humanity, and especially all of these things bring our faith to a challenge, the devil knows this, and he knows that some of us who call ourselves as believers, he knows that in chaotic times, it's going to rattle, it's going to affect our faith. And, it's, and when it affects our faith, listen, then the next thing that will happen is that we will be rocked in turmoil with our emotions. Don't ever forget this. The devil knows how to get to us. Don't ever think he can. Listen, the devil knows how to get you mad. He knows how to get you fearful. He knows how to get you spiteful. He knows how to get you depressed. He knows how to get you mad at God. And if you're going through any of those emotions today, listen carefully. It is not the emotion. It is not the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not coming upon anybody with depression. He's not coming against anybody with vengeance. He's not coming against anybody to get mad at God. But let me give you this spiritual truth today because it happens. It happens to people and unfortunately it happens to Christians and sometimes it happens to the best of Christians. 
So don't ever get to a place where you feel, you think, well, I'm so spiritual. I've read the Bible 27 times. I can quote John 3, 16. I can give you the names of all the disciples. I can tell you the apostles. I can quote the Ten Commandments. Listen, don't ever build yourself up to say, and because I can know I can do all of that stuff, I'm pretty good. I'm good. Listen, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. So be careful. Be careful. The devil knows how to get to us. But listen carefully. It doesn't have to be that way. There's a much favorable alternative. The Bible that you hold dear in your hand, the scriptures that you see on the screen today, the word of God has been given to us for a reason. It's never been meant to become an ornament or a decoration. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says this, and I don't have this verse on your outline this morning, and you might can find a place to write it in, but the word says, for the word of God is quick, look at this, and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and of marrow, and is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. So my admonition to you today as a believer is this. Yes, we're in a dark place right now. Civilization is in a dark place. Democracy is in a dark place. The world we live is in a dark place. Everywhere we turn, we see chaos. But my admonition to you today is from 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3, and that says this, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So as the old song, we used to sing it a long, long time ago, onward Christian soldiers. Listen, we have to believe that time is short. Jesus is coming back. This world is in a mess. And in order for us to live triumphantly, we have to move forward as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Trouble is here. Struggle is everywhere. But listen carefully. It takes some real old-fashioned Christianity to be determined to stick it out until the Savior returns. Take some old-fashioned Christianity to do the right things under adversity. So when you're facing the giants in your life, and you feel that your world is collapsing and caving in, let me encourage you to do one simple thing. Reach for your Bible. That's why I asked you at the beginning of the service to even maybe make some notations in the margin, front or back of your Bible, these five things that we're talking about today, because I think it will help you. It will equip you to have the best year you ever had. And so let me get to it. Number one, remember that no matter what, God will never abandon you. As a believer, as a born-again child of God, remember this. You, there's no one here today that has to feel the pain of loneliness. Now, I know we all need a companion in our life. We all need somebody that we can tangibly touch and see and talk to. We all need those things. And that's why we need to be careful and mindful of people that our widows or widowers and shut-ins. But let me say this, no matter what, 
you face, no matter what you go through, God will never abandon you. And loneliness is everywhere. You know, we just got through dealing with uh, some issues with my mother. She's not in a nursing home yet. And, uh, but she was in a, in a uh, rehab facility. And I will tell you, there are some precious people in there. I, I don't, I don't, I just, I don't get it to where some people, I, I, I see this all the time though, when I have made visits and they have people in wheelchairs and they got them stuck in the corner. Their mouth is hanging open. Their eyes are closed. Drool is running down their shirt. And they seem to be in some type of medicated state. Three or four people there. You walk by, you smell the odor. And I think oftentimes, you know, that's somebody's son. That's somebody's daughter. It's sad that they appear to be in their elder years, perhaps 80 and 90, and it's sad to think that out of a, a life that mattered to somebody one day, a life that was full of life one day, a life that laughed one day, a life that was vibrant one day is now shoved in a corner, drooling on themselves and lonely. In this world, it's easy to feel this pain of loneliness. But remember that God will never, ever abandon you. He is always with you. In fact, let me say this, loneliness is not the plan of God. That's why God created Adam a helpmeet in the garden. So he wouldn't be lonely. Other things, obviously, of course. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number five is a great scripture. It says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You, you've got to live on that verse. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse number two, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, Thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Here's the thing that I want to stress to you today. Listen carefully. And those of you that are watching at home, please get this truth as well. God has not entered a relationship with us just for the good times. Try to get that. God has not entered into our relationship with you and me just for the good times. He is there, yes, in the good times, but he's there in the bad times. He's there in the lonely times. Listen carefully. When trouble comes knocking on your door, here's what you need to do. Because as a child of God, and he has promised that he would never leave you nor forsake you, he's promised never to abandon you. And you've got scriptures to back it up where he is always present. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could get to the habit of doing this when trouble comes knocking at our door? Wouldn't it be wonderful to say, okay, Jesus, can you get the door? Can you get the door? He's promised never to leave us. Let him work in your life. Let him show you some beautiful truths of his word. Let him show you how he can deliver promises to you. Let God be the Lord Jesus of your life. Because standing somewhere in the shadows, you're going to find him as a believer. He will never run from you.
Remember the Lord is a stronghold in a time of trouble. Hebrews 13, 6 says this, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And so remember this, God is with us until the end. The second thing is this. And I would stress this to anybody that I was just flat out counseling about trouble in your life. Let this be a good moment for you. Learn from trouble. Learn from the trouble that you are experiencing. You might say, well, it's not good. It's like a nightmare. I can't wait till this thing is over with. I can't wait till I put all of this mess behind me and start in a brighter day. I pray for that for you. I pray that there will be a brighter day for you. But listen, learn from it. Learn from the trouble that you are experiencing. You have to remember this, that we are imperfect people living in an imperfect world. And by the way, that's the recipe for a perfect storm. When trouble comes your way, ask yourself this question, what caused this trouble in my life? What was it? In Job chapter 34 and verse number 32, the word says, that which I see not, teach thou me. Maybe you're saying, I don't know where it came from. I don't know how this thing started. I don't know how I got into this mess. That which I see not, teach thou me. If if I have done iniquity, I will do no more. One of the biggest things to our advantage is to constantly maintain a teachable spirit. And I use this and I say this often in my ministry. Don't ever get to the place in your life where you feel that you can no longer learn anything else. Because if you ever get to the place where you feel like you've learned it all, that's the day that your life ceases to be productive. We we have to be teachable all the time. Let the Holy Spirit teach you in adversity. In Job 6.24, the word says, Teach me and I will hold my tongue and cause me to understand wherein I have erred. And in Psalms 25, verse number 4, the word says, Show me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths. Let me give you a marvelous spiritual truth here this morning, and I want you to write this down. How we respond to trouble is far greater than the trouble itself. Let me say it one more time. How we respond to trouble is far greater than the trouble itself because our, our response reveals our true character. Our response to trouble reveals our true character. It reveals how serious that we're taking God at his word. I mean, how could we possibly forget the words of Job and his time of trouble? In Job 13, 15, he said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. Do you remember this? The time that David was running from Saul. He was a fugitive from his own country, his own people. He had trouble and chaos all around him. And when Saul tried to kill him, this is what David did. He didn't say, okay, guys, listen, we're going to slit his throat. The first opportunity we have, we're going to nail him good. That is completely opposite of what David thought and what he did. 
This is what, when Saul was trying to kill him, this is what David did in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 14. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. So when you run into the brick wall of trouble and chaos, commotion and confusion, and you feel like your life is being turned upside down, listen carefully. When you get to that place, behave yourself wisely. You know the difference between right and wrong. And you know that the devil has now found some vulnerabilities in your life. He's getting you to think about revenge. He's getting you to think about being mad at this person or being mad at God. He's putting all of these thoughts into your mind. He's tempting you in many different ways. But listen, when, when you come to the door of adversity, behave yourself wisely. You know the difference between right and wrong. You know that God is not going to abandon you. And this is what you do. You step back and say, what is the lesson that I can learn in this mess? Learn from adversity and trouble. Number three, real quickly, allow your trouble. Allow your chaos your adversity to bring you closer to God. Not to repel you from God, but to draw you closer to God. Because the truth of the matter is, when, when those kind of days happen, when that season happens in our life, I was talking to a lady two weeks ago, and she was in a world of commotion and chaos there was darkness all around her life, and this is what she said to me. She said, Preacher, I'll be honest with you. I, I haven't read my Bible in weeks. And she said, I have found it very difficult to even pray. And let me tell you something. When, when trouble and chaos comes our way, that's a natural, natural thing that Satan will put into your mind. It, that's an automatic, it's a given. Sometimes we, we don't really think about the source of our trouble or problems. The Holy Spirit is never going to come to you and say, hey, I know your day is dark, I know your day is dreary, but hey, get mad. Quit reading the Bible. Quit praying. You and I know that's not of God. When, when, when Satan overpowers you with these temptations and these thoughts, listen, you've, you've got to step up and allow the Lord Jesus to demonstrate his presence and his power in your adversity. And that's why you say, Lord, will you get the door? Let him step up. He said, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. So number three, listen, allow your troubles to bring you closer to God, not to run from him. And it's very simple. God has made it plain in the world. Do you know that you can be as close to God right now as you want to be? Maybe closer than you've ever been. Yes, there's going to have to be some rearranging in your life and you're going to have to change some things. But listen, I've shared this with you many times. There's a scripture. Fellas, I want you to get this scripture on the screen, James 4, 8, real quickly. And, and here's the thing. If this, if this pulpit represents the throne of God, and I represent you, according to this verse, 
draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. That means this, that if I take one step towards God, according to the verse, God will take one step toward me. If I'm willing, really, I'm weary and I'm broken, even got to the place where I'm crying in private, in my car, on my deck, on my porch, and I'm beginning to let sorrow ooze from me, and I really get hungry for this relationship with the Lord, and I take one step and two steps toward Him, according to that verse, He's going to take one step and one step closer to me. And pretty soon, here's the thing, God will have the relationship with me as much as I want to have it with Him. Now, don't get this verse twisted because here's what a lot of Christians do. This is what the temptation of the devil will do. Sometimes in our misery, we're having a big pity party. We say, God, do this. Kill him. God, you're going to have to do some this miracle stuff that I read about. I need three or four of them right now, God. And if you do that, if you if you just pop a few my way, I, I'll I'll do what I need to do. And so, believers get this thing all twisted. It doesn't say, God, if you do this and you do this, I'll get close to you. If you pop all these miracles my way, I'll get close to you. That's not what the verse says. We have it wrong. We say, God, if you get close to me and really do this, that, and the other, I love you, serve you. The verse, it's not there. This is what it says. Draw nigh to God, which means we have to be the ones who are willing to take the first and necessary steps. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. So as close as you want to be with God, I promise you, friend, he'll want that same relationship. But now his desire is that you let him be the Lord of your life. And that you love him and serve him with all of your heart and soul. You get close to him and see what happens in your life. Have you ever noticed that when little children get hurt? They're running outside, they're playing, having a great time. But one falls, skins their knee. And immediately they begin to cry and have themselves a spell. Typically, usually, the first thing they want to do is run to mama. They just, they just want to hear mama say, it's going to be all right. I don't know how many of you ever put up with this stuff. It'll be okay before you get married. That's ridiculous when you got blood running down your leg. But they want to hear, it's going to be all right. Mama blows on it, cleans it up, puts a Band-Aid on it. They feel so relaxed and at peace. But you know what? When we fall down in our lives and we get skinned up, first thing that we ought to do is to run to Jesus. Wrap our arms around him and say, Lord, Minister to me. Touch me. Let me feel your presence. 
That should be our desire. Number four, real quickly here, look at this. Now, while you're learning from your troubles, number four, I would suggest to you to pass what you have learned from trouble on to others. There are lessons we learn from success and there are lessons that we learn from our failures. And if you keep these things, these lessons learned to yourself, you run the risk of forgetting and getting back into those situations and somebody else may stumble and fall because you had a valuable lesson that you didn't share. Let me give you this scripture, Philippians 4, verse 11 and 12. Not that I speak in respect of one, for I've learned. Learned, Paul said. He learned from his troubles. He learned from his trials. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be abased. That word in the Greek means humble. I know how to be humble and I know how to bound. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul learned these lessons in troubles and he learned how to pass what he learned onto others. It's, it's true, no one can help people walk out of a valley unless they have walked through one themselves. I have made it a practice in my ministry never to say somebody, I know how you feel if I have never walked in their shoes. Again, just this week, I was able to sit down with a family, the Burrell family, by texting as I was communicating with Debbie, their daughter, Paul and Peggy's daughter. I said, I know exactly what you're going through. I know exactly how you feel. And I had every right and I had every emotion and perspective because I do. And my dad took his last breath. I put his, my hand on his chest. I looked at Danny and I said, he's gone. Don't ever look into somebody's eyes and say, in their time of sorrow and trouble, I know how you feel, when you really don't. But you can say a lot of things that can help them from God's Word. I, I don't ever want to bottle up inside of me the victories or the lessons that I've learned in trouble and not pass them on to somebody else because I want other people to know that there is hope. There's a sympathizing Savior. There's a bomb in Gilead. There's a God who can untangle the train wrecks of our life that there is a brighter day. I've learned those lessons and I want to pass those experiences on to people, number five, and I want our musicians to come forward. Listen to this. Be willing. You must be willing to endure to the end. I think one of the biggest lessons we need to learn is perseverance. Too many of us want shortcuts in our faith. But the cross life is a faith life. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 6 through 8, he said this, For I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departures at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. 
Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. Winston Churchill said this and made these words famous, never, never, never quit. You will never be in a place of life for God to give you victory if you quit. Keep the faith. Keep trusting the God you say you believe in. Because I will tell you this, friend. He's not only the God on the mountain. He's the God in the valleys. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, Visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.